Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's Clavicle. It's like, man, you thought we were going to slow things down with that little Danny acoustic number. You were wrong. Picked it right back up. Welcome to As You Were, podcast about Alkaline Trio. My name is Tim Crisp. His name is David Anthony. Fact. We are co-hosts of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where we are in the midst of goddammit month. We thought we would take- in the middle. We would take this opportunity of the 20th anniversary of God Damn It by the Alkaline Trio. The first LP came out in October of 1998. Here we are 20 years later, and I mean, it's the fucking reason we're here, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we've discussed that in the last two episodes, which are incredibly long by our standards. It was like that... Those were two uh, moments of just being like, man, music is great, isn't it? Yeah, it was It was one of those weird moments of like, oh, I don't know what I have to say about this because I just know it so well. And then I start talking about it. It's like, actually, I have like 32 more things to say. If you can hold on. Right. I need to run down this bullet point. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like every song on this record lends itself to that. Um, totally. And we got another one. We got another one, and we got one that I'm not sure if we uh, vocalized this plan, but we've had a couple polls out there for our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. We did the first half of God Damn It. We put it up. We did a poll. The listeners chose San Francisco, and you and I, we had a little arrangement. Mm-hmm. We each picked one. They chose mine, so we did yours. We talked about Nose Over Tail. Yes. And I think that the intention was that we were going to do a Patreon poll for this episode. And we did get a, obviously, we got a winner for the Patreon poll. But we're going to hold off on that because that is a little bit more of an end cap piece. That is going to be a really good moment for us to summarize this record. It was also a moment for me to say, you know, I love our Patreon uh, subscribers so much, but I picked San Francisco and I was like, second half? All right. You know what I want to talk about? The track that they chose. Yeah. So what I'm doing here is I'm I'm stiff arming this a little bit. We're taking this down the road that I want to go down because oh my. I started this show with David. And I feel angrily, like, and and I want to, and I want to, I want to assert a little bit of control here. Sure. What I want to talk about in terms of the song "Clavicle" is there's a moment in the original Sin documentary mm-hmm. where Matt Skiba is going through. For those who don't know. What's what's the original Sin documentary? The original Sin documentary is a companion piece that came with the goddamn it reissue that came out in nine in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. That's how that year starts. Yes, I'm used to saying nineteen ninety eight. Right, two thousand and eight, ten year anniversary of goddamn it. 
We got a reissue. Matt Allison went, cleaned up the guitars a little bit, boosted some of the levels. I prefer the original. I do in almost all contexts. Mm. Uh, There's very few examples where I'm like preferring a reissue remaster to the OG. Um, I can tell you one where you absolutely should prefer the reissue, and that is Tim by The Replacements. Yes, I personally really like the Dear You reissue remaster because it gets bigger. Yeah. Um, And then most recently, appropriately, the Poison Idea Feel the Darkness reissue that just came out. I haven't heard it yet. It sounds awesome hell yeah um but this one i will say it is it's a lighter touch you know there's some differences there, but, but yeah it's, there's it's not, not like huge. it's not like he he went in and and made matt's guitar sound like it sounds in 2008 thank which god I for that i think was the i think was something that he actually addressed in his notes is that look matt's guitar tone is weird and it needs to stay weird because that's what this record is. Yeah. And and I think, you know, having a little bit of tweak here and there, not, not bad at all. You know, and I definitely think optimizing maybe some of that for like streaming stuff, God bless, you know, which I think started to become more of a concern that, and I don't know if that's what he had in mind doing it, but like, I do think there's benefit to optimizing for a format, but yeah, he does. It's a real gentle approach, but that documentary, you know, it's, it's basically just all about the making of God Damn It, and it's all the kind of key players talking about it, which is was, for me, really cool even at the time because you don't really hear a lot from Glenn Porter, the original drummer. Right. And, you know, he's being pretty open about all of it. And, uh, you know, what's cool is they start breaking it down song by song at the end where it's like talking about the song and then a clip of a live performance of that song. My favorites are the ones that are missing the live performances of the songs at uh-huh. the time. <laughs> Cause they never played uh enjoy your day or sorry about that live. Yeah. I mean, until you know, they would do the, the album tours, um, which I actually really enjoyed them doing those when I saw them play. God damn it. It was really fun. I mean, it's it, a, a huge appeal of this record to me as a kid was that it always felt like two really awesome EPs kind of slapped together. Yeah. Where like one ends with an acoustic song and then one ends with the other guy doing an acoustic song. Like it's just, it's one of those things that was, I I felt was very bold at the time, you know? Uh, And granted like the acoustic track would become more prevalent as like a closer on some of their records and such, but like it felt really new then. And it felt really cool to like, have these different presentations and really get this roadmap that this band could do a lot of different things. That was always very exciting to me. Yeah, definitely. And I think that they, in an interesting way, I think both of those close their respective EPs in fitting ways. Yeah. Um, There's a moment though, when they are talking about clavicle where Matt says that with this song, he wanted to elicit a and i'm paraphrasing here a little bit but a cannibalistic feeling Mm -hmm. to uh the attraction that he had for the subject of this song now my immediate reaction then same as it is now bullshit (laughs) no you didn't (laughs) yeah um i recall that too i don't remember exactly how he phrased it but yeah like that's the meat of what he's getting at. Um, exactly. Uh, it does ring a little hollow to me. I think there's one line or one 
series of lines in the song that could prop that up, which is the saw it looked like really good food and saw you, so did you, which has always been the weirdest part of the song. It's to a me. very strange lyric. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really sketchy kind of like objectifying of a person. Yes, um, and it just doesn't really. F- so I what I'll say about the second half of God Damn It starting here through the end like if we're splitting it right in half like that um because the a sides and b sides of the record don't actually play out that way but right right whatever uh the b side is all these weirder observations from matt in my opinion like this song has a lot of it with that my little needle which a lot of people think is about heroin and he is refuted uh southern rock which is just about like boy i want to be in hell and then like you know trouble breathing which is really dark and sorry about that which is basically like sorry i was a dickhead to you right Oof. um and where the a side has always felt more impressionistic to me even though there are specifics in it yeah definitely. they're a little more outsized i feel like the specifics on that side like are kind of more befitting to writing a specific song and this is one where you're getting a real like deep dive into just this shitty 20 year old yeah you're getting a real picture of someone's psyche mm-hmm. in that moment and what i like about god damn it is how much both matt and dan were not afraid to be like yeah we're kind of like fucked up messes and i think brennan kelly has a great line in the original sin documentary which i've always appreciated and again paraphrasing of like you know I'm a little fucked up. The things I'm into are a little fucked up and that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And like, that's the appeal of God damn it. And I do think that line in clavicle speaks to that, but I prefer literally everything else he's saying in there. And yeah. it feels a little bit just like, like you were saying a little objectifying for one, uh, to a little, more crass than he gets in other parts of this record yeah and three the the application of that cannibalism thing he wouldn't really start hitting those topics until like donner party you know which is right seven years later and this is kind of what i wanted to strong arm here a little bit was to say that there is a, it's a topic worth discussing when you have people looking back on their first big thing and saying something that presents a type of intentionality that just wasn't there. Yeah. And an authorship that wasn't there. This is a record that is 100% lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. And it's you have Matt going and looking back at it from 10 years earlier and saying like, I was actually trying to like subtly do this thing. And I, I think I'm more appreciative of him just saying like, it's crazy that those songs were coming out of me. It's crazy that this worked. Yeah. Because you can flank this against a song like cringe, which growing up, I didn't really know if there was a distinct narrative arc to that song. I would argue there's really not. Right. But in the documentary he points out the headwind cold rain to wake me point is like, Oh yeah, that's about you being a bike messenger, mm-hmm. you know? And, and his bike comes up in a few instances in the song, but it's yeah. not like he's 
not like he's trying to make it more than that. It's it's not super heavy handed. Mm. And this is actually going to kind of be a funny corollary. Um, I interviewed Laura Jane Grace years ago mm-hmm. uh, about the song Pretty Girls, the Mover from Searching for a Form of Clarity for this video series at AV Club. And we were talking about it because she's updated the lyrics now to, to more plainly state that she had changed the lyrics in 2005 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because she didn't want to use the line gender identity because she hadn't come out with that yet. Yeah. But that's what the song was about. The song was about having this fear to ask someone out because you were unsure of who you were and how you felt and what this meant. And we were talking about it and we were, you know, we're talking about one song for a half hour. Uh-huh. And, you know, I asked her a question and she just kind of laughs and she's like, it's just about a fucking crush, man. Yeah. And I always appreciated that level of authenticity where, like, there is intentionality to certain lines, but the overarching theme is just it was a crush. And I kind of wish Matt Skiba with Clavicle would have just been like, it was just about a crush. And that's then that's what it is. And it's like, it's nice to get somebody who's just able to say, like, you know, it doesn't have to come from an overarching idea because I think that there's an implication that's in there that's like, yeah, well, I'm kind of a genius. Yes, yeah. And and that kind of retroactive application is always weird, mm-hmm. you know, because there are certain songs where you can very, very clearly see what it's about. You know, this isn't like when I've seen Matt live talk about, you know, what Fuck You Aurora is about where those are very specific references that he then draws out and explains. And you're like, okay, yeah, this, this puts the thing into a fuller picture Um, with him focusing in on that one line. I think it, I, it doesn't shift it because I I like the song a lot, but like it shifts what I think the power of the song is, because I think there are so many better lines and there's so many more interesting parts of this song that to like really, bring in this cannibalistic element yeah to what i think is the weakest part of the song well i will say that i i don't think that he's referring necessarily just to that one sure, lyric sure. that's just where it's like spelled out the most yeah. it's just like it's basically like matt skiba in 2007 is interested in cannibalism and yes it's like you are this is where you are in your creative self and mm-hmm. you are now trying to go back and interject like your present self into your past self but also this idea that like it was always there for me yeah which is something that there's like a corollary with like movies where you get people who you know the the Wachowskis or George Lucas you know they come out with this this movie and then they're mm-hmm. like well you know there's always been like six of them yeah, in the yeah. bank and it's like you hear that so much that it's like it can't always be true and i kind of just wish that people would be a little bit more open with the fact that it's like yeah put fucking everything into this and it came out and people really liked it and i would like to keep doing this thing and keep extending this thing for yeah. as long as i can which mm-hmm. is, is part of it and like i do think that's i don't know i'm i fixate in that one line because as much as Matt would claim he's more deft with metaphor in certain things, he is kind of heavy handed. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, I mean, I think that there's like a certain heavy handedness that's really beneficial because 
if it's spelled out enough, people are going to understand it. Yeah, and but I think like the chorus of the song, I want to wake up naked next to you kissing the cover clavicle, is kind of very sweet. It's, it's so sweet. It's kind of creepy, kind of sweet, kind of endearing. It kind of hits all those points that I think encapsulate that feeling of having a crush, mm-hmm. especially when you're young. And I think that's something that's really just a really strong image. Um, I do want to bring up before we get into other things and like the music of the song, for right, instance, right, right. is that, you know, I've mentioned it before, but like he does have songs that are kind of ambiguous about the gender of the subject uh-huh. um, and about gender confusion. And one of the things that is not often discussed is that like Matt at the time had been known for dating men. Uh-huh. in the Chicago punk scene, you know? So like there is an interesting part of this to me where I think a lot of his songs are often read about being about women, but that's never explicitly stated. And I think that is something I've always liked about clavicle is that while it very likely is, that's not a known factor with him. Right. It's, it's like, it's a focus on a, part of somebody that does not have gender but Mm -hmm. when you are like when you are enamored with somebody to an extent where you are like in love with uh you know their angles and the, the parts of them and the and the way that they look you know in different spaces that that's such a moment of intimacy not just because they're naked yeah yeah. but because you are you are close to somebody in a way that you are you know you're you're on a a part of them that's like not sexualized at all it's just like this it's funny because you can tell it's just like almost like mad lips it's almost like i want to use the word clavicle in a song and he does but it works backwards so sweet yeah it's so sweet yeah and i mean i think that's the thing is there's while the song has it's you know more kind of like oh i'm i want to have sex with this person angle to it there is that there is a sweetness to it there's lightness to it and then in my favorite part of it the like called you twice the fucking best like that level of just like the way he expresses that so simply and succinctly mm-hmm. i've always always really loved i uh, and i love how that builds too how that's like just like a little like mini bridge just like extension off of that verse where yeah. you know that that line about you know i'll be bothering you soon mm-hmm no bother please do it's so fucking cute and then just like that just that little drop off and then his like delivery which is not full no but it's it's just like so cute that that's what he's saying is i've called you twice yes and it's just like i like that too because it to me you know hearing that as a kid like that always really stuck with me because it was it was really showing something that I thought was important, which is like, again, you don't need to be like a presumptive dickhead. You tried once, uh-huh. you tried again. Okay, let it go. You know, yeah. There, there's not, dis- despite the maybe issues, the eating stuff. Like, it's not him being like, "I'm owed this." 
it's him living more in a fantasy you want all right so let's let's talk this out as it's happening i have never once in my life assumed that this person didn't pick up the phone when he called see i've always assumed they didn't yeah because why is he sitting around waiting you know, I especially in the time, like I assumed he had left two messages. Uh huh. And and I nothing mean that, back. that makes sense. And it's like it's one of those things that now that I'm thinking about it, it makes a lot more sense than this person did pick up the phone. It's just for some reason I have always thought that they did and never thought to question it. I mean, I guess that's you know an what I'm saying because I've mm-hmm. always assumed it this way. But I, I, there is no clarity as to yeah whether or not there was even because there's that there's that that feeling of like you know you call you talk to him twice on the phone and then you're just like oh my god like I, uh, yeah. I just want to talk more totally. I just but I don't want to I don't want to overdo it yeah it's like that uh, awful scene in that movie Swingers of him leaving those voicemails <sighs> and he gets progressively worse and worse you know because that's like uh-huh. the opposite. Um, male tendency in this type of scenario and that's what i always appreciated about this as i was like younger consuming art of like having these examples of like yeah don't don't be that guy right you know especially when it's like especially when it's like that is the narrative that's the like oh god he just wouldn't leave me alone until i went out with him yeah now we're together like that's there's so much to fucking unpack with the way fucking uh like 20 year old men are yes. are treating people these mm-hmm. days like i always look at that and it's like that's a fucking problem yeah yeah that's not sweet exactly and i think that's the thing is i think th- this song in so much of goddamn it to me has always done a good job of capturing that moment of you know not even really an adult you know you're kind of figuring these things out and you're trying to navigate this world and there's these high highs and there's these low lows and you kind of just need to roll with both of them and that's so much of what i feel about this record and this song in particular is that there's there's moments where i am kind of like yeah i don't really love that but the 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 cumulative effect expresses something more and i think something that's more important than a lot of what was getting pegged as emo at that time which i think could be and very soon would skew more towards violence and entitlement and i i don't see that as much here and i i've always really appreciated that about his writing is i don't see that come through really yeah um i yeah I, i i don't think that one interpretation of of what happened on the other uh end of that phone is is necessarily right or wrong but i think that the the overall sentiment of like whether it's like i want to talk to you more or i just want you to pick up the phone uh you know there's never like a like do it like i'm entitled to this yeah but yeah i i agree i think that it's all it's all it's all good and it's all even this song as it's performed now that we're 23 minutes into the way yes so much vigor so much bounce i really love like mad's mad's like main chord progression is just so like yeah i well i mean it's it's the type of like you could easily port that over and put different instruments behind it and be like oh that's like a bad religion song yeah totally but the thing i've always i loved about alkaline trio in this period is that 
even when they're playing those fast punk parts, they don't play them straight. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the way that it kind of builds. It, it's so much of this is how Dan and Glenn play around him. And more than anything, you know, the way this song pulls all the way back in the chorus. Yeah. Is crazy. Because it, it is probably, it's one of the fastest songs on here. Even though, like, yeah, like you say, it's like, if if Glenn is just playing like a straight up, like, you know, yeah. beat to it, like, it is a bad religion song. It's a little bit more dissonant than like a yeah, bad yeah. religion song, but it's like Matt's strumming at that pace, but mm-hmm. it is like that Glenn is like so choppy almost. And this is a really like his symbol work, like all over this Ugh. record is fucking tremendous. But like, this is one too, where he's like, he's hitting like little fills when it's quiet. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's just super active in, in a very particular way that is not straight up punk. Well, I mean, there's there's two drummers that I've always pointed to that I've thought have done a great job of actually understanding how riffs work and knowing how to play with them. Like knowing when the guitarist is like maybe not, and maybe is holding that note for a couple of seconds longer as opposed to strumming through it and how to throw a cymbal in there or mm-hmm. how to throw a stop. And I think Glenn is one, and I think Adam Feller from Jawbreaker has always been great at that too, of really locking in and knowing how to make a song feel dynamic in every movement. I mean, dude, Adam, most especially on Bivouac, Mm -hmm. is just so, so good at keying into the way Blake is playing. Yeah, and I feel so much of this record is like if you put Unfun and Bivouac together. Like, that's what goddamn it is. Yeah. You know? I've always likened Glenn a lot to George Hurley of the Minutemen. Yeah. Who I think, you know, Dee Boone was a really, like, out there guitar player. And, Mm -hmm. like, Mike Watt, too. Mike Watt's super active. But, like, the way Dee would strum and, like, the way uh, uh, Hurley would play off of him, especially on, like, you know, those first, like, eight or nine tracks of like double nickel on the dime. Like you yeah. listen to a song like Vietnam and like that to me is like the moment where I see like Glenn Porter is just like, that's how I want to play the drums. Totally. And I think the, that's a clear example of something that like he really brought to all the bands he played in. Like you hear that and this is a more obscure reference, but like with Tommy rot, which is not a band. A lot of people have heard, but they're split with slapstick. You listen to his drums and you're like, whoa like this dude's on some other shit Mm -hmm. like this dude's like borderline fugazi ish but he's not playing music that resembles that and you see that a little bit in like 88 fingers louie too and it's funny when you listen to matt's early material be it like jerkwater or blunt especially like you see him doing a similar thing when he's playing drums so it makes perfect sense that they would be able to kind of key each other into that on this record this is a this is a a moment too where it's like so it's so wild we're gonna talk about this a lot next week the way that Mm. this works but the overabundance of tone on dan's bass yeah versus the total lack of tone on matt's guitar yeah like dan's bass sounds like so clunky it almost sounds like his fucking strings are like smacking the pickups know, right? on this song it's wild it's, it literally sounds like almost like corn from fucking fieldy like oh. it's just like so like <laughs> like but 
it's it's so fascinating to me because Dan is such, especially on this record, and really prior to this record, a very active player. Mm-hmm. You know, he played bass like he was playing lead guitar. And I think that makes perfect sense in this context. But there's just such a like, what is kind of happening here to to so much of this record, but to this song in particular of like the way it pulls back in those choruses and Glenn is doing those kind of double time taps on the snare and toms and like Dan's bass tone. It's just like, how did you land on this? Yeah. And I think, I think too, that there's like, there's moments of feedback that Mm -hmm. are happening in here too, where it's just like, it's not by design. It's just like wild. And it just comes out that way. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, building to the chorus. And this song is like, it's so, it's funny because, you know, Pat Kinlan like referred to it as a very charming song. And I was like, I've never thought of that song as very charming. And then listening to it in preparation, I was like, this is a very charming song. Uh, yeah. Shout shouts to our homies at Axe to Grind. Love them much. Uh, but yeah, it's it's funny that he would say that because Tom is is the trio fan and yeah. very much want to talk to him about that at some point. But this is also a weird song where if you don't like Alkaline Trio, which Pat does not, for this to be the one that you find incredibly charming is very interesting to yeah, me. For sure. It is. You're completely right. You're both completely right, but yeah, I would never would have characterized it as such because I feel like this is the type of song on this record that someone could point to and be like, look at these idiots. Like, oh, oh, duh, duh, you're a yeah. sad about person. Uh-huh. You know, like, and it's very funny to hear that reframed by people who maybe don't listen to this band as intently as I have spent most of my life doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a funny song to look at. It's a funny song to look at 10 years after you wrote it. It's a funny song to, uh, you know, think about the first person that you thought about when you heard it and to think about, you know, the fact that I'd still fucking throw this on a mix for her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was gonna, I was thinking about that as I was coming up here because I don't think I ever used that one. Yeah. Like, uh, I definitely use that Alkaline Trio songs on mixes for people, but I don't know if I ever use this one. You know what? Because this one is, it's so forward that yes. it's like, it's... I couldn't put this on a first mix for someone. No, you're taking a shot. Though. Uh-huh. And <laughs> you got to like pull it back a hair. You got to go with like, got so far to go. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you've got, you got to sub in it like a Dan song from the next couple of records. You cannot go shooting this one. Yeah. We're we're comfortable. I mean, yeah, it's all um, together. It's fine. What do you what do you rate this song? Five out of five. Five out of five. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a solid four out of five. I think that it's. Um, I think that it's so fun. I think that it's super endearing, and it's it it does what it does. The I I went that high for the one reason that. I often will underrate the song in my brain and then it starts and I'm like, Oh, it's perfect. It, it's, it really is. It, it's one of those where like the much like cringe soon as that intro hits, I'm like, well, I'm in this yeah. with, and same thing when I see them play it now, it's just like those two songs feel so necessary to me. I've been giving out a lot of fives this month, but I stand by all of them. Yeah. I, okay. It's, it's a song that like, you just like kind of fall in love with the little things about it. Mm-hmm. And like, 
you know, if I were to see them play this live tomorrow, I would do the same thing that I've done every single time that they played it, where I just grab whoever's closest to me and just yell, I've called you twice. <laughs> As you must. Um, hey, this has been episode number 40 of As You Were, a podcast about Monumental offline trio. Right Monumental. There. We really, we really hit it. Um, this is a show that we like to do because we like hanging out with each other and talking about this band. If you like it, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Patreon.com slash as you were. We've got swag in this apartment right now. Sign up and you have an opportunity to get some of it or to vote in a poll to hear from us more often, to see pictures of Chloe, the dog, and you know, it's it's a fun it's a fun little way to uh, you know help us continue to do this and to you know participate in the show a little bit more. Um, what else do we got? Email hit us with emails as you were podcast at gmail dot com. Hey, I haven't done this in a bit. My other show, it's called Better Yet. It is an interview podcast, and I think that it's good, and if you aren't listening to it now, you probably should. We've had some really good uh, guests lately. We had Ben from Chew, the so good best band in Chicago right now. Hands down. Um, some other good stuff on there. Go over and, and check that out. And, hey, Twitter, at As, as You Were Pod. pod. He's at DB Anthony. I'm at Better Yet Pod, and we are out of time. We will see you next week. We will have another goddamn it song to talk about because it's goddamn it month. God damn it. See you then. Axe to grind. Thanks, Bubs. Next to you Kissing the curve of your Gladness